25 minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Monday. Back to school, back to work we go. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Look around and you'll see 
the ninth man on the team. Rebbe went, picked up a bat, faced the pitcher with a smile. Knocked the cover off that ball, went about half a mile. He flew around the bases, scored the winning run. We danced and cheered until he said, Now boys, you owe me one. Next day in the classroom, no one moved and no one stirred. Rebbe started teaching and his voice, it could be heard. We all said, hey, it's interesting. Betty's no more. The legendary side bombs were gone forevermore. Rebbe used to teach us Torah each and every day. We opened up our eyes and ears to everything he'd say. And no more did we sit all day and watch our TV sets. We talk about the Rashi, the Tosfos, and the mess.
Shayibane, 
J.M. in the A.M. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to a Monday. Back to school, sort of. Back to work, sort of. We go on this Monday morning. J.M. in the A.M. Lots of Leif Tahar. You heard Leif Tahar with Baruch HaGever and the Good Morning Medley, a.k.a. Pella with Adon Olam. Leif Tahar with Lo Alecha, Rachem, and the Ninth Man. Mayor Sherman, our Monday morning theme song, Masecha Hashem, and from Regesh, Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's the 4th of May, the 10th of VR. Today is Yom Herzl. It is the birthday of Theodore Herzl. We may actually do something uh, to commemorate that this week here at JMNAM. Working on that. <laughs> Today is day 25 in the counting of the Omer. Three weeks and four days. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. It is the first day of Bahab. If you're not familiar with it, consult 
with your local rabbi. 64 degrees, 49% humidity, winds are east at 5 miles per hour. Partly cloudy today with a high of 66. Then tonight, mostly clear and a low 44. Tomorrow, partly cloudy and a high 63 degrees. You shall lie at 73. We're at 64 here in New York City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. I thank uh, all of our wonderful presenters who took care of our weekend programming, including Avrami and Matis and everybody who uh, pitched in. And here we are on a Monday. We've got a full lineup, as you would suspect. Mayor Weingarten and the Israel Show at 9 o'clock after JM in the AM. 10 o'clock for after further review with Yoni Pollock. Jake Novak with Novak now at 11 a.m. Lots happening. It's Monday after all, and we're kicking off the week with us right here and with you at JM in the AM.
Nine, 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 nine,
Shalom, shalom. Give a rechecha. 
Jam in the AM. Jordan and Adam with Ure Vanim. Crackout Nikun done by Kolachai. You heard of Rami Flums, Al Naros Bavel. Ari Goldwag, Hanani Mamin. Noah Solomon and Sean Altman with Havdallah and the Brachot of Havdallah. On this Monday morning, it is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners' sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NahumSingle.com on the NahumSingle Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. It's a Monday morning on this uh, first day of Bahab. Today is day number 25 in the counting of the Omer. Day number 25, that's three weeks and four days. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Today is uh, the uh, today is Yom Herzl, Yud Iyar. Today is Yom Herzl, his birthday. And in Israeli schools, normally, they uh, pay some attention to this day. Golly, it's on the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up and plenty more. Ashira Gorfinkel. We kept saying that uh, that Gorf himself will join us. It's actually Ashira Gorfinkel who's going to join us. We'll talk about the next generation of Cole Zimra, and we'll have the uh, brand-new single for you here at JM and the AM. Plus, Kalman Samuels, author of Dreams Never Dreamed. He'll join us coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Monday is next. Boker Tov from Jam in the Am. Galitzal, Mirushalayim, Asha'a 2. Shalom Rav, Khan Rani Avnai, Ima Shekorei Akshav. Nimshar Adiyun Ba'atirot Lebagatz, Neged Ha'eskem Ha'koalitsioni Ben Alikud Lekachol Havan. Shoftei Ha'eliyon Matkhu Bikorot Al Mispar Seifim Ba'eskem. בבית המשפט העליון בירושלים מדווח כתבנו לענייני משפט יובל הראל. במהלך הדיון ביקרו השופטים בחריפות את הסעיף שמקפיא את המינויים הבכירים והחקיקה בתקופת החירום. הנשיאה חיות אמרה כי אין קשר בין הקפאת המינויים ומשבר הקורונה, והשופט הנדל הוסיף כי דווקא בתקופה הזאת יש צורך במפכ"ל קבוע. עורכי הדין של הליכוד וכחול לבן אמרו כי יש כוונה לתקן את הסעיף הזה. עם זאת, עורך הדין שימי ברון, המייצגת כחול לבן, ציין כי החוק הנורבגי המדלג עדיין על השולחן, על אף שהשופטים הביעו ביקורת על החוק. הממשלה מכונסת בשעה זו לאשר שורה של הקלות במשק, מדווחת כתבתנו המדינית מוריה אסרף וולברג. על פי ההצעה שהובאה בפני השרים, ואותה הם יידרשו לאשר במהלך הישיבה, קניונים, שווקים וחדרי כושר ייפתחו לציבור הרחב כבר ביום שישי הקרוב. זאת כפוף להנחיות משרד הבריאות. גם מגבלת 100 מטרים להתרעננות תבוטל, איסור ההגעה לחופים יימשך, אך יותר מעבר בחוף הים לצורך פעילות ספורטיבית. שלושה עצורים בחשד לתכנון פגיעה בסוהרים באמצעות חומרי נפץ, כתבתנו הדעה שטייף. במהלך השנתיים האחרונות התמודדו בשירות בתי הסוהר ובמשטרה עם שורת ניסיונות פגיעה בסוהרים וירי וזריקת רימוני הלם אל עבר כמה מבתי הכלא, בעיקר כלא איילון והשרון. חקירה ארוכה של חוקרי יחידת להב 433 הביאה למעצרם של שלושה חשודים ועיכובם של שלושה נוספים, תושבי ג'אצ'י במשולש. החשד, הם מעורבים בכמה מהאירועים הללו. ייתכן שנשלחו בידי גורמים מתוך הכלא. אורחת ליום ראשון מעצרו של החשוד ברצח בת זוגו אמש בבת ים. הותר לפרסום כשמה של המנוחה טטיאנה חייקין בת חמישים. חגי מויאל, המפקח הארצי לטיפול באלימות במשפחה במשרד העבודה, 
הודעה אצל יעל דן, שירותי הרווחה לא תמיד יודעים שגבר אלים משתחרר ממאסר. כן, מסתבר שזה מה שקרה. כן. שירותי הרווחה מקבלים, אה, אה, לא מודעים לכל אדם שיושב אה, בכלא. כאשר משתחרר אסיר מהכלא בגין אלימות, לא מיידעים את הרווחה שהאיש הזה עכשיו מסתובב חופשי? במידה והוא נשוי וחי עם אישה, אז אנחנו מקבלים הודעה. אתמול אני עדיין נמצא בבדיקה. כתבתנו ליה ספילקין מזכירה כי החשוד הודה אמש בפני המשטרה כי דקר את בת זוגו למוות. בשבוע שעבר נרצחה בחולון אישה נוספת על פי החשד בידי בן זוגה הוא שוהה במעצר עד ליום שישי. משרד החינוך הודיע כי יחזיר את מערך ההסעות לחינוך המיוחד. עם הפרטים כתבנו אליאב בטיטו. כחלק מהחזרה לשגרת הלימודים הודיעו במשרד כי מערך ההסעות יחל לחזור בהדרגתיות כבר מחר בהתאם לכללי משרד הבריאות. בכל הסעה ייסעו עד 50% ממספר הנוסעים המופיע ברישיון הרכב והנוסעים יתבקשו לפעול בהתאם לכללי שמירת המרחק וההיגיינה. בשבוע שעבר נהרגו שבעה בני אדם בכבישי ישראל ונפצעו 393, בהם ארבעה במצב קשה. כך עולה מנתוני הרלב"ד ומד"א שמביא כתבנו רפאל כהן במעקב יומן הצהריים. ברקע הקורונה חלה ירידה דרמטית במספר התאונות, כאשר הקטלניות שבהן צנחו במחצית והקשות בכמעט 80 אחוזים. מזג האוויר למחר, ירידה בטמפרטורות משעות הצהריים צפוי גשם מקומי ברוב אזורי הארץ. אלה החדשות שעורך רועי ולד. This portion of NSN programming is brought to you by our friends at uh, A&H. Abel's and Hyman uh, kosher hot dog sausages in Delhi are the world's best serving the kosher world since 1954 and available at better kosher supermarkets nationwide. Try A&H today. Check them out. A&H is amazing. And... Um, We give Seth Levitt and his uh, phenomenal staff a big shout-out on this Monday morning right here at JM in the AM.
No. 
J.M. in the A.M. Another nice Sphere selection called Yom Shlishi. That's Jesse Rosenberg and company with that beautiful medley. First day of Bahab, day 25 in the counting of the Omer. Today is day 25 in the counting of the Omer. Uh, three weeks and four days. If you forgot to count last night, uh, make sure to do so sometime today. Um, yeah, day 25 in the counting of the Omer. Coming up, we'll speak to uh, Shira Gorfinkel. Uh, it's basically going to be talking about the uh, restart, reboot, if you will, of uh, Kol Zimra, which is such an important part of Jewish music and Jewish a cappella music history. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the brand new single, Halev Shali, which has been released. That's all coming up. At 8 o'clock, Kalman Samuels, author of the book Dreams Never Dreamed. He now leads Shalva and um, in Israel, in Yerushalayim. And we'll speak with him coming up here at JM&AM. You may want to check out the brand new book. Uh, coming up at uh, 9 a.m., it's the next live edition of the uh, Israel Show. And Mayer calls it drama in real time, yet another showdown between Israel's judiciary and the legislator and executive branches. Also, uh, Mayer will celebrate 100 years of the San Remo Conference. He says 100 years of the San Remo is nice, but what was the San Remo conference and why is it worthy of celebration? Plus a special slow, inspirational Israeli music mix all coming up starting at 9 a.m. Eastern time right here on the Nahum Siegel Network, the NSN app, NahumSiegel.com. Don't forget to like the Israel Show Facebook page, Facebook.com slash the Israel Show, Facebook.com slash the Israel Show. At 10 a.m., Yoni Pollock will be hosting after further review. Believe it or not, there's lots of football and basketball to discuss, maybe even some baseball. So they'll be doing that on after further review live at 10 a.m. Eastern time right here on the Nahum Siegel Network. Looking forward to that.
And at 11 a.m., Jake Novak with a brand-new show, Novak Now, or I should say a brand-new episode of Novak Now. The topic is how New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio's comments and conduct regarding the Jewish community are a microcosm of the whole coronavirus fiasco. That's what Jake calls coronavirus a fiasco. Tune in. Maybe you'll uh, hear why. I have a feeling you will hear why starting at 11 a.m. Eastern Time right here on the Nahum Siegel Network. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN Nahum Siegel Network app for Android and iPhone and comment away. (laughs) GZ Settler, who I assume is listening from Israel, says, Help, I don't want my kids going back to school. This must be one of the most difficult positions that parents have been in now that in Israel schools are reopening, whether to send the kids back or not. I know it it, it can't be an easy decision, that's for sure. Listener Chaya says, week seven of online teaching and learning, doing our best. Teachers and students are adjusting too. Yeah, by the way, someone mentioned this to me yesterday. How, um, and we have spoken. We spoke to Rabbi Hagler from Noam. We spoke to uh, to Ellie Hagler down in Florida. Uh, we spoke to um, uh, the principal from Kohelet in Philadelphia. We spoke to one of the principals from SAR. We have been speaking over these months. Yeah, it's months already, uh, to those who are supervising this online learning. And I guess Chaya's calculation uh, starts from the 16th of March, right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. This would be week number eight. I guess she says seven because um, Pesach, obviously, uh, was an entire week or two weeks off, depending on, you know, you know your school schedule, etc. But yeah, oh, and she may actually be saying it also because I think it was the week of the 9th that it started. The week of the 9th of March, it actually started for a couple of days that week. Anyway, the bottom line is that teachers and students, uh, I hope, are in fact adjusting. But uh, many listeners have pointed out how we have to make sure to thank and give credit to the teachers who have really made this adjustment and have done their best to continue as normal a teaching schedule and learning schedule, therefore, for the students as possible. And it's very true. It is a hard task, a very, very hard task. So a big yeshikoch and a big thank you to all the teachers out there on every level, from K through uh, 8, high school, college, everybody who's spending their time trying during these months to uh, convey proper academia um, through the online system. And it's going to be a while. I was thinking about this early this morning. It's going to be a while. It could be that the next school year is just going to be a very, you know, choppy school year, a combination maybe of online learning and in-person learning. Who knows until the vaccine's available, et cetera. And then hopefully that's it. Hopefully we only have to go through, you know, one school year in addition to what we just went through and what we're going through now of all of this, you know, hyper carefulness, so to speak. And then hopefully we'll be able to get back, uh, assuming there is a vaccine. I try to ignore the reports that, uh, that, that keep conjecturing that there, you know, that there never will be a vaccine, but we're hoping in fact, and I don't know with the ingenuity that we're seeing around the world right now, one would have to um, operate on the premise that there will be one at some point uh, between now and this time next year. This portion of NSN programming is brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman Kosher Hot Dog Sausage and Deli is the world's best, serving the kosher world since 1954. 
and available at Better Kosher Supermarkets Nationwide. Try A&H today. Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, and Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. We learn concerning the Kohanim. Tell the Kohanim, the children of Aaron, that the Kohen should not become impure. Lo The Medrash Vayikarabba says, Tell the Kohanim, Yiras Hashem Tahora, the fear of Hashem is pure. Omedes Lo'ad, it endures forever. Reb Levi says, Because Aaron Akoin had such a fear of Hashem, the Parsha was given to him and his children forever. Which Parsha? The Parsha to be careful from all types of Tumah, including Tumas Ames. The Zerashimshan notes that the Kohen has a lot of responsibilities, who he's allowed to marry, what he's permitted to do, what types of work. Why is this particular concept of being careful for Tumah specified as being given to the Kohanim for all eternity? He answers that one could think that when a coin becomes Tame, ritually impure, the Kedusha leaves him. His Tumor Tahara is no longer of any concern. He can come into contact with whatever he likes, any Tumor, any spiritual uncleanliness. However, in our days, when everyone is Tame, we don't have the ashes of the Paraduma in order to purify ourselves. Is there any Inyan? Is there really a difference between Tuma and Tahara in our day? So Hashem wanted it to be known that it's a mitzvah for eternity. It doesn't matter if the coin became Tomei, because there will always be Kedush and Tahara, purity, spirituality. Hashem says, I will be with the Kohanim, no matter what the situation, no matter what the status of the Kohen. Kedusha never leaves the Kohen, whether he is Tomei or Tahor. This is in essence why the Kohen cannot become Tomei, because it is a simon of the great Kesher between Hashem and the Kohanim, between B'nai Yisrael and Hashem. It happened to be that after the Holocaust, an individual went back to Europe, back to Poland, to look for a remnant of his father. He went and he searched through the entire city. Somebody had told him, that the parochas, the covering for the ark that his father had donated, was found in one of the homes. He ran to that home. It was a home that was overtaken by the Nazis, Yamach Shemom. And they found that they had been using the parochas as a cover, as a bedspread. He took that parochas that had the name of his father on it and went to the great Rabbi Oshri, Zechot Tzadik Livrocha. And he asked him, could we use this parochas once again? Or has it been defiled by the Nazis and we will not be able to use it? Rav Ashri told him, that parochas never loses its original Kedusha. It is holy, no matter what it went through, no matter how it was defiled, it doesn't matter. It is still Kadosh. The same thing is with the Jew. No matter what a person might have gone through, no matter if a person became defiled, they are always holy. They are always connected to Hashem. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you morning chizik. Have a nice day. J.M. in the A.M. Monday morning. My thanks to Rabbi Goldwasser.
A reminder, tomorrow is Giving Tuesday, and it's the official kickoff of our 2020 fundraising campaign. So if you'd like to sponsor something in honor of uh, someone who, excuse me, whose memory you're commemorating, a yard site, et cetera, consider sponsoring or by Goldwasser's words or by Uden's words. Uh, you can go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. You'll see there a tab that says Sponsorship Opportunities fjbunity.org. And again, because tomorrow is Giving Tuesday and we kick off our 2020 campaign, we're asking in general that everybody out there give and be as generous as possible to keep us going. fjbunity.org. You don't even have to wait until tomorrow. You can do it today. fjbunity.org. And we thank you. Discussion on the app about the the, uh, sending kids back to school. Um, Let's see here. Yeah, listener Chaya says, my additional count, today is day 27 of online teaching. Yeah, the only one who's getting counts wrong these days, I think, is is Governor Cuomo. He said yesterday, I think he said day 56. I don't know where he gets that from. It's not 50 or day 61. Whatever he said, I tweeted it afterwards. I said, just doesn't make sense. I don't know where he's starting his count. This whole shutdown, this whole lockdown started so much more recently than that. Uh, at least a week or two more recently than that. So that was very, uh, that was strange. But yeah, sh- uh, I-, I believe Chaya's count that today's 27 in the online teaching. Speaking of count, today's day number 25 in the counting of the Omer, three weeks and four days. Keep that in mind. Um, then Avrami says that, uh, speaking of count, seven out of 23 returned to his son's class yesterday. Seven out of 23 were in his son's class yesterday. So that's about a third. I guess that makes sense that um, that uh, you know that there'll be a percentage who don't want to send their kids back to school yet. The vaccine issue was just a, what I had seen. Don't mean to make anybody panic, but I did see a report yesterday that it's possible there'll never be a vaccine. But of course, uh, the, the majority of the health experts feel there is one, and that the efforts being made to create one. Uh, are not for naught, so thank God for that. JM and the AM Monday, you know what um, uh, what Sphera means? It means uh, a music format uh, dominated by a cappella selections. And years ago, one of the most influential, if not the most influential, uh, person when it came to introducing a, uh, a very serious a cappella effort uh, to the Jewish world um, uh, was Jordan B. Gorfinkel, uh, Gorf as we know him. A proud member, by the way, of the Nahum Siegel Network. And one of the groups, he worked with a lot of groups, one of the ones that he brought and helped bring to our attention is Cole Zimra. And right now, uh, with us live via telephone, is the producer of the brand new Cole Zimra Halev Shali video, which is now out and available, and the producer of the song that we debuted last week, uh, the a cappella version of Halev Shali, and that is a Next Generation Gorfinkel, Ashira Gorfinkel, who's with us live via telephone. Ashira, shalom, shalom. Welcome to JM in the AM. Hi, Nachum. Thanks for having me. A pleasure to have you on. So tell me, um, first let's start with uh, the revitalization, at least from our vantage point, of Cole Zimra. Has Cole Zimra, in fact, been a little bit uh, quiet over the last few years and now it's being revitalized? How would you describe what's happening with Cole Zimra in 2020? Yeah, so right now we are working on kind of rebranding and recreating, in a sense, who we are, which is twofold, because on the one hand, it's like you said, we've sort of been present for a while now. My dad started Cole Zimra, and part of what we want to maintain is our sense of history, because my dad was one of the founding people of Jewish acapella, really going all the way back. Like you said, he's been in multiple different groups. 
so now what we're doing is we're trying to maintain that history and keep a sense of this is who we are and what we do, but at the same time create a new generation of inspiring Jewish harmony in a revitalized way and really just, you know, what we've always done, which is inspiring Jewish harmony and helping people bring to their I don't know if that's the right way to say it. Oh, that's fine. It certainly sounds fine. Uh, and I guess the uh, uh, the two ways or two avenues to do that uh, and to become and remain as uh, strong as possible, number one, is through live music performances, and secondly, uh, releasing uh, music, um, uh, covering songs, uh, uh, original music, and, of course, uh, uh, releasing some videos. So on the first one, on the first part of this, is Cole Zimra now available for gigs? Are they a group that you know is still going around the country and when things are somewhat more normal, performing at live events? Yeah, so obviously not right now. We want to be obviously very cautious and understanding of the quarantine. And yes, in general, that is what we do. We are obviously available for gigs when everything goes back to normal. But the main thing that we're trying to push right now is we want to try and be there for the community and give back because ultimately our, at least in my opinion, and I think I can speak for the whole company in this, is that we really just exist to, like I said, inspire Jewish harmony and really to give people something that makes them feel hopeful and connected to Judaism in a creative way that can really be generalized to everybody because music is something that we all understand across the world, no matter what language you speak or where you're from. So right now our focus is really just giving everybody something that can make us feel together in a time when we all feel so physically separated and alone. Very cool. So Halev Shali, the single audio and video, is that a result of the times we're in now, or is this something that was planned even before coronavirus took over our lives? A little bit of both, actually. So I was in LA when lockdown started, which was Coincidentally, also, when we had just started conceptualizing Halev Shelley and coming up with a song, and my dad, Jordan Gorfinkel, had just called me and said, okay, well, we're going to give you this music video, figure it out. What do you want to see? What's going to work for your generation? What's going to work for my generation? <laughs> and we suddenly, when the lockdown started, we had to find a way to make both an acapella track and a music video from within the confines of all our homes. And we're all all over the place. We had people in Israel, people in Denver, people in L.A., etc. So suddenly we're all stuck at home with nowhere to go. So, you know, what do you do in this day and age? You check social media. So scrolling through Instagram and FaceTiming friends, you begin to notice a pattern of people feeling helpless and lonely. And it occurs to me, well, what if there's something that I can actually do. So I was just tasked and tasked with figuring out the concepts for this video and suddenly it kind of all just clicks into place where if the only place we can all be together is online, let's make a music video that's 100% online framed within the contents of a computer screen and have real life people in quarantine send us pictures and videos of what they're doing so this way we can bring everyone in the Jewish community together and give them, you know, a feeling of togetherness. Uh, Shira Gorfinkel's with us, and uh, the reason I think it works so well is because there really are only two things that people see these days, 
and that's people through, you know, whatever means, social media, et cetera, and computers. Those are basically the two things <laughs> that people are focused on uh, these days during these times. Talking about Cole Zimmer, the brand-new single, single is Halev Shalit, his great video out. So now with all that in mind, and, and you've sort of answered it already, but I wanted just a little bit more detail. Um, with that in mind, uh, you, you mentioned that the video is done in the context of a computer screen, and that's obvious to anybody who has seen it or will see it. You'll, you'll know exactly what we mean, folks. Uh, but what's the greater message? What is the, um, the storyline, if you would, of the brand new video, Halev Shali? Yeah, so our video centers around our unseen protagonist, the person who is operating the computer screen. And we wanted to make sure that it felt authentic to what you would see on your own computer screen. So um, we don't actually see the person who's operating it. We just see her or him as they're going about their daily habits and scrolling through social media, texting your bubby, WhatsApping with your friends, searching for news articles. And as we do this, um, we watch her go from this feeling of helplessness and there's nothing I can do and I'm trapped at home to I need to do something. And she does this by, I won't spoil it too much, but right. by creating a live stream of the Cole Zimmer singers. And we really wanted the theme of this video to be about, you know, just because we're all physically separated, none of us are ever truly alone. I mean, we're literally on Yisrael. We're a nation, and we come together in times of hardship. So this what's, is no different. What's funny is, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully, a couple of years from now, people watching it will not even – will not even remember the context of all this because <laughs> although with the trauma of this thing, I'm not so sure I'm right. This may last for a long, long time, but it is going to be something unique. It reminds me of Y2K. It reminds me of post 9-11. It's going to be a video that's unique for these times. It's going to be, you know, a perfect example of what people were going through and what the attitudes were during the coronavirus situation. Yeah, and that's what we're hoping for. I mean, ultimately, this video is really just something that we hope inspires hope in others and gives everybody something that they can kind of believe in again. And even years from now, I mean, we don't know what the situation will look like, but Bezrat Hashem, it's just a thing of the past. And people can look at this video and just think, oh, well, you know, there are first responders and everyday heroes in this video. There are people I know who are in our social media segment. There's kind of something for everybody. And if nothing else, I mean, I got to say, I love that song. Yeah, it's <laughs> so. funny because I was saying to myself, you know, again, because I think of I think of these things. You know, years from now, people may ask, "Was there such a focus on first responders and people who are working in hospitals?" And of course, those of us who are going through this now know that there are no more important people in the entire process than those who are doing exactly that. So, there's no question; it's an amazing reflection of the time. All right, Ashira Gorfinkel, I'd like to play the song before we get more Cole Zimra. Uh, details that information and tell people how to reach Cole Zimmer, etc. I'd like to play the song for everybody if you don't mind and recommend that they go to YouTube and uh, check out Halev Shali, the brand new video by Cole Zimmer, Halev Shali. So we'll do this. Uh, it's called Halev Shali and come back with more. Cole Zimra's on JM in the AM. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
Ashira Gorfinkel, producer and director of the brand new Cole Zimra Halev Shali video with us live via telephone. Uh, when was the first time you ever heard that song? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, actually. The first time I heard it was about a week before quarantine started in Los Angeles. And I had been texted a link, I think by my dad, who said, you got to check out the song. This is cool. So uh, we go. I go online and I see the original version, which is just gorgeous, gorgeous, mostly acoustic cover um, by the original performers Ishai Rebo and Omer Adam. And I think as soon as we heard that, both of us were like, "Oh, okay, we have to use this song." Yeah, it's a good one to say the least. 
It's a really good one with amazing words and a really incredible tune. JMAM Monday, we're talking about Cole Zimmer. So how do people, in fact, get in touch with Cole Zimmer, get them to their live events? Uh, please, God, those should continue and to pick up very, very soon. Uh, what's the best way for people to get information about Cole Zimmer? Yeah, well, you can find us now on Facebook and Instagram at Cole Zimmer Productions. You can check out our website, which is in progress and hopefully fully up soon, which is www.colesimra.com. And if anybody ever wants to ask us any questions, just communicate with us in any way. You can shoot us an email at info at colesimra.com. And Zimra's without the H, right? Z-I-M-R-A? Yes. <laughs> yep. <coughs> People should keep that in mind. You know, <laughs> uh, it, it, it's not that I need to give you a history lesson. That's, <laughs> there's no reason for you to sit through it. But the reality is, until uh, until people like your father came along, there were no selections for us to play during uh, the middle part of Sphera, during the three weeks, etc. There was really nothing uh, that made an impact on the uh, broader Jewish community, us included, obviously, uh, in that. There were obviously a cappella groups, and there was, you know, a, excuse me a second. There was a cappella music that was a... Um, a big hit around the world, but really for a, you know, a very specific niche. And uh, and he and others really opened it. And I'm only saying others because he'd be, probably be embarrassed if I gave him all the credit. But but he and others opened uh, up our industry to really being receptive uh, to acapella selections of all kind, you know, dominating uh, really all year round, not just this time of year, uh, but all year round. And I think it's important to point out. So you have you have amazing pedigree, and I'm really proud of the fact that you've uh, spearheaded this project and brought it to the broader community. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm really, really honored to be a part of it. It's like you said, there's so much history here, and having grown up with this music and just having really been surrounded by it my entire life, it's amazing to finally just be a part of it. Yeah, keep choosing great songs. Oh, we should ask you. Um, so, who are the vocalists? Who are, the, are, are we familiar with any of the names of the vocalists that we just heard during that selection? Yeah. So, the vocalists are well, Morty Weinstein. He nice. arranged and produced this entire track. He is legendary. He's yep. amazing. Everybody, he's if you don't know him, please go check him out. Oh, he's great. So, yeah. So he put together the whole thing, and then obviously because of quarantine, we couldn't bring. Uh, about seven or eight different singers together. So he really came together and put the whole thing piece by piece together. And, was, and a lot of, a lot amazing. of, a lot of names that longtime Cole Zimmer fans would be uh, familiar with. Yeah, I'm sure. Unfortunately, cool. I don't have the credits in front of me. No, right that's, now, that's fine. I, I just, I just, I just want to point yeah. out that you, that you really wanted to keep this as authentic as possible in terms of Cole Zimmer. Oh, definitely. I think that being kind of the rookie to the group, it was really important to me to be surrounded by people who had been in this business for longer than me and who really knew what was going on. Like our editor, for example, Jeff Thatcher, he and my dad, and they've known each other and worked together for years now. And Jeff was really instrumental in this video, and he did an incredible job. Oh, very nice. All right, Ashira, best to your entire family. Congratulations on the brand-new single, the audio, the video. It's called Halev Shali, everybody. You could search Cole Zimra and be in touch with them via social media and soon to be there a full website as well. And uh, we really uh, are happy that uh, uh, you're continuing the Cole Zimra tradition for the worldwide Jewish community. It's really, really cool. And uh, good Thank luck. You. good luck going forward, and keep us in touch, please. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. Ashira Gorfinkel, producer, director, brand new video. It's called Halev Shali. You just heard it moments ago right here at JM in the AM.
Well, it's hard for me to uh, – <laughs> I love Cole Zimra, but it's hard for me to um, to wrap up a an interview when we just discussed uh, Gorf, Jordan B. Gorfinkel, and not go back a little bit during this Sphera period to some of his great work with Bitachon. Remember Bitachon? Those may have been the first full a cappella albums that we played on a regular basis. Anyway, here they are at JM in the AM. Yeah, 
Monday morning in America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NahumSingle.com and the NahumSingle Network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app, Ari Goldwag at JM in the AM.
in the a.m. on a Monday morning with Ari Goldwag. Uh, I just had five of the best minutes of Corona time. <laughs> Since Corona started in mid-March, uh, you know, you're looking for, for really good, good, uh, good things to, uh, to remember. I just had five amazing minutes uh, catching up with Kalman Samuels. And don't worry, I didn't do the entire interview off the air. <laughs> We're going to get to the full interview about his brand new book in just a moment. Uh, but just amazing reminiscing with him and, um, really, uh, reliving some of the great pride that the Jewish world has had in his and his family's accomplishments. He is the founder of Shalva. Many of you, no doubt have visited the Shalva, uh, building. It's a beautiful building in Jerusalem. Many of you have ran. I know this for a fact. I can name the schools. Many of you have ran marathons, both here and in Israel on behalf of Shalva. Uh, Kalman Samuels, the founder of Shalva, has written a brand new... Oh, that's right. And and God knows how many people around the world have seen the Shalva band perform on the... Um, on the, um, I guess, Israel's Got Talent type show. You know, the shows that we're used to these days, the reality shows of the... Uh, the 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 um, where where these relatively unknown artists become, you know, international sensations. The book is called Dreams Never Dreamed. It's a Toby Press release, which means you can check out our friends at Koren for all the information. Dreams Never Dreamed, a mother's promise that transformed her son's breakthrough into a beacon of hope. Traveling to study in France for the summer, Canadian college student Kerry Samuels made a stop that would change his life. An unlikely chain of events landed him pursuing theological study in Israel, changing his name to Kalman, marrying his wife Malki, and in 1977, their infant son Yossi was injured and rendered blind, deaf, and acutely hyperactive. During the difficult and isolating years of Yossi's early childhood, his mother promised to dedicate her life to helping other children with disabilities and their families if Yossi's world of darkness and silence would ever be penetrated. Inspired by their son's remarkable breakthrough to communication, Kalman and Malki established Shalva, one of the world's largest centers for disability care and inclusion, creating a better society for all. In Dreams Never Dreamed, Samuels 
juggles life's bitter and sweet in pursuit of good. Driven by humorous stories and insights, this memoir is both heart-wrenching and heartwarming at once. A story of hope, courage, and leadership, it demonstrates that ordinary people can create extraordinary change and transform life's challenges into opportunities. The author of the book, Kalman Samuels, is with us. Dreams Never Dreamed is the title. The founder of Shalva, Kalman Samuels. Welcome back to JM in the AM. Nahum, after 20 years, it's amazing to be with you again. I appreciate that very much. I loved the book. Absolutely loved it. And remember, I'm, 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 I'm pretty familiar with a lot of it because we, we were side by side, as you were with many uh, people in the Jewish world as all this was developing. And so I remembered a lot of it, but uh, some of the stories are incredible, and some of the coincidences, <laughs> frankly, are remarkable. And it's and it's it, it's it's no stretch to say it, it would be a hundred percent accurate if I've read this correctly, to say that as you were becoming an adult and and you know and and looking to get married, start your family, pursue life, it sounds to me from the reading of the book that the furthest thing from your mind would have been to be the leader of one of the world's greatest inclusionary institutions all these years later. Would that be safe to say that this was furthest from your mind at that time? I think that would be an understatement. You know, as the title of the book, Dreams Never Dreamed, implies, I never dreamed of ever doing that. But even before that, as a secular kid with a bright future with basketball scholarships and academic scholarships, you know, going to be a professor of Western civilization, I had no dreams of ever being religious. And, uh, you know, as things had it, uh, circumstances brought me to Israel on the way to France for two weeks, and something happened, I never left. And so that was something that I could never have imagined or dreamed. And when Yossi was injured, my wife Malkin and I could never have dreamed that this child who couldn't talk, couldn't communicate, could hardly walk in many ways, at the age of eight would have a literally a Helen Keller breakthrough to communication and turn out that he's a brilliant, brilliant child trapped in a body. And uh, again, as you just said, I could never have dreamt that from that breakthrough, in spite of the fact that you know Malky had promised that God ever does help us, um, with Yossi, she will dedicate her life to this. But between dedication and promises and actually happening, these are all dreams that I could never have dreamed. Kalman Samuels is with us. You know, there are a couple of things that go through the minds of those of us who are, you know, FFBs, as they say, <laughs> from from birth, when we hear stories of backgrounds like yours. Um, if, if, in fact, this book was written essentially because of a promise you made to your late father, and that's what it seems so, you know, to the reader. Uh, can we assume that your parents were very supportive of this incredible transformation to religious Judaism that you just described? Uh, let's put it this way. Nothing comes without trials and tribulations. When you got a kid who you have your own dreams of being a professor, a lawyer, whatever it might be, and the kid winds up, as my father said it very well once, in, in England and in Canada, sitting on the bench is an expression meaning that the fellow is a judge. Right. So my father said to me, I always dreamt that one day you would sit on the bench, meaning <laughs> be a judge. Right. But I never, I never dreamt of the bench you sat on, meaning sitting in the yeshiva <laughs> right. for many, many years studying, you know, which he couldn't relate to. But yes, 
not only did he was he always supportive. I mean, that never got in the way. And you know, I think there's some wise things someone who's new to the fold in religion can do not to alienate their parents. And uh, we always got along. We married. Malki was loved at first sight, and of course, grandchildren. And yeah, he was very, very proud all the way through. Amazing, I'll tell you. And usually, I I, I reserve this question for the for the end of conversations like this because I think that it's such an important message. But I'll ask it now. Uh, do you do you understand when people from um, a a full religious background don't understand? Why one like yourself would make this transition, would make this, would, would be aggressive about making this transformation? I have news for you. My own children ask me those questions. Wow. Daddy, what made you go from being a very successful, bright university student and making a shift like this where basically you put your your life in the hands of others because you don't understand, you know, what, what it is being asked of you, so to speak, you know, you learn as you go along. And I said to them something that they laughed at. I said, I had no choice. It wasn't my choice. So they said, like, what are you talking about? I said, well, you know, I was a university student and I had a professor in philosophy that always mocked the people going to India and China in the 1970. And he used to say they don't have a yardstick. They don't know their own culture. They don't know their own civilization. And as such, uh, when they go to see these places, they're looking at a void. If you want to be able to understand someone else's culture, first study your own. And that's what I was set on doing, studying Western civilization in my undergraduate years. That's why I was going to France. And uh, when I was in Israel, somebody typically in Israel on a bus said to me, where are you going, what are you doing? And I told him I'm going to France in a few days to study there. And he said, why are you studying someone else's culture when you don't know your own? So I said, what are you talking about? Of course I know my own. I went to Sunday school three times a week. And in the course of conversation, I realized, hey, you know what? I really don't know too much. And I decided that my professor was right and that this is something where my culture, my civilization, which I knew was at its base Jewish upon much of Western civilization was built, I got to study that first if I'm ever going to understand something else. But more than that, when it came to meeting Malki, I was a newcomer. I was two and a half years in. I was ultra, ultra, ultra orthodox. Uh, Malki was a, you know, a wonderful young lady, uh, very international, living in Jerusalem. Uh, so when I was 18 in Vancouver and basketball star and ate cheeseburgers, Malki was a 16-year-old Demur modest, very religious girl. So for the two of us to come together, it would have been pretty... Someone, someone had to make a change. It was either her becoming non-religious right. or me becoming religious. So I said to my kids, you know, God put a hook in my mouth, <laughs> schlepped me, brought me here, and two and a half years later, you know, we got married, and ultimately, you know, everything came out of that. When people mention Vancouver, especially that generation, we, we ask about Rabbi Heyer. Did you know him at that time? Did I know him? Rabbi Heyer, to my great disappointment initially, the week before my bar mitzvah, the rabbi, the sort of the lead rabbi of Vancouver, Rabbi Goldenberg, moved to New York to head up Torah Masora right. with Rabbi Kamenetsky. Right. And uh, the young rabbi who had just come a year before, um, you know, amazing young guy from Brooklyn, Rabbi Heyer, he was, I was his first bar mitzvah boy. Wow. So it turned out, 
so it turned out that Rabbi Heyer and I obviously became very, very close. He was also my Sunday school teacher, and we've remained very close all through the years. And I always joke that, you know, I'm so happy that I was able to set Rabbi Heyer on the right path, <laughs> you know, because obviously he's achieved so, so much in his life. Very cool. Great story. Uh, Kalbin Sebul is with us. The book is called Dream ne- Dreams Never Dreamed. A lot of people know about Shalva. Uh, a lot of people know about the, uh, the role that you and your wife and the organization have played in the whole issue of inclusion in the Jewish world and the general world. And we know how vital that is. But would it be safe to say, would it be an honest evaluation to describe Shalva's prom- uh, most, most, uh, uh, most uh, important function to be a respite for parents because the two of you, meaning you and Malki, understood how important that respite is for parents of those with special needs? Without a doubt. The original name of Shalva, which we don't use anymore because it's uh, not a politically correct name, but in 1990 it was, and we called it the Shalva uh, Organization for the, uh, oh my gosh, I'm, the word is losing losing the word for a moment, <laughs> but helping parents and children with disabilities, right. so that families families were always first and foremost in everything we did. That's why we set up Shalva. The children obviously need everything they need, but the additional element of Shalva was that complete change of life for the parents. When a child gets into Shalva, it's no longer giving an aspirin for serious illness. It's allowing and enabling parents to have a complete change in the quality of their lives. That child comes in five days a week after school with obviously special ed school from one to six or two to six, a hot meal, has an incredible time, etc., etc., with therapies. And so the parents have a full day. That means mommy and daddy can work. Daddy can study, mommy can study. The children can come home from school and actually find mommy or daddy at home to do homework with. And when Junior arrives home at 6.30 from Shalva, they've had a day. They're built then to accept him with love and to give him what he needs. That, it's not once a week. It's five days a week. And one night a week, every night of the week, a group of those parents, every night a different group, the child sleeps over. So if we're talking on a Tuesday, the child goes to public school in the morning, comes to us in the afternoon. If that's his night, he and his buddies sleep over on Tuesday night, bus to, child, bus to school on Wednesday morning and comes to us. From Tuesday morning till Wednesday night, every week, that family has two days off <clears throat> and one night. That is a program. If I had a choice of any of the Shal- many Shalva programs that I could have had when we were raising Yossi, that would have been it now. Because that is the sanity saver. Does a family have to live near Jerusalem to take advantage of your services? The, the full-scale services, meaning five days a week after school, demand that the it's got to be somewhere in about a 30-minute radius from Jerusalem so that there's busing and kids can attend. There are other programs, such as the Me and My Mommy program for new mothers, where a mother just gave birth to a child she may or may not have been expecting with a disability, and every day of the week, 100 women a week, uh, with many times with daddy, but about 20 a day, 
come in and they, they come from all over the country, literally. They get five and a half hours of therapy, of uh, basically social interaction with other mothers, and very, very quickly we put them on their feet with their newborn and they become professors very quickly. So that program draws literally from the Golan. <clears throat> we had a woman last year who flew in the night before every week from Elat. When I asked her, why is it, you know, you've been here for six months, the program's a year and a half, why do you continue to come every week from Elat? She looked at me like I was nuts. <laughs> said, you don't seem to understand, this is my oxygen. So each program draws from a different place. We also have, you know, apartments with young graduates, girls, boys who live permanently in inclusive apartments. And, of course, that also draws from all over the country. Right. We would know them as residences, that type of, uh, of exactly. setup. Um, Colin Samuels is with us. The book is called Dreams Never Dreamed. Uh, it's, a, it's a Toby Press release, and uh, a lot of what we're discussing is in the book. So don't think we're not talking about the book. We are. A lot of it, the whole story and everything that they're doing there at Shalva in Israel. Can you, can you, can you analyze... Uh, maybe this is putting you on the spot because you don't want to, you know, uh, degrade anybody. But I'm curious about the level of therapy and therapists in Israel and the education of those therapists com- compared to, you know, who we have here. Uh, we always, you know, think that in the United States it's always top of the line. It's always the best. That therapy is advanced and further along than anybody else. Uh, how, how does how how do the people, the staff and volunteers that you deal with, compare to other parts of the world? Well, let me put this to rest. Many of our lead therapists are Americans who've made Aliyah, <laughs> and they have years and years of experience in the States, right. many of them in very detailed little fields, and they're some of our leading therapists. In general, the therapy in Israel is extraordinary, and what comes with that beyond, and with everybody, but the level of love, one of the, peop- one of the catchwords that people always use when describing Shalva is love. And I saw a WhatsApp this morning from our director of education that a mother uh, was in, con- in, co- in conversation with her through WhatsApp that her child during this corona period had seen several therapists at the public health centers. And they were all telling her what the child could do and what the child could not do. She says at Shalva that doesn't happen. At Shalva they just see what he can do and what he can do more. But no one ever says this, you know, he can't do. Obviously, there are limitations, but the parent has a feeling that the sky is the limit. I must say that in general, you know, therapists are sensitive people to begin with. Otherwise, they would never go into this field. And uh, most of them are just superb. Pretty amazing. Uh, Kalman Samuels is with us. I think there were some, to me, as a reader, it seems that, one can describe some tremendous watershed events. I think you already described one of them. Meeting your wife was a watershed event. Where, as yeah, you, that was life changing. Yeah, sure. as you told your kids, you know, you had a decision to make, and then you decided to go in her direction as opposed to she going in your direction. But many people will remember Nachshon Waxman, who was kidnapped and and, and uh, murdered by the enemy uh, back in 1994. And you know, and and for those who are young and need a comparison, the, the three boys is is a comparison because Esther Waxman, his mother, became such a unifier of people around the world, Jews and non-Jews alike. And, and you meeting her, 
uh, and knowing her, w- would that be considered a watershed event for the Shalva organization? No, absolutely. Esther Waxman uh, lived in a neighborhood of Jerusalem called Ramot, and the original Shalva garden apartment was located in Harnoff, two opposite ends of the city. And Malki would, was, was the driver of the van, our van, and she would take the kids you know, home every night, and also to Shalva, many of them. And we told Esther at that time, when someone referred her to us, that we would love to help her son, Raphael. There were seven boys. Nachshon was one, and uh, the youngest was Raphael, who had Down syndrome. So uh, they wanted to bring Raphael. We said, great, you pick him up at 6 o'clock, school bus will bring him to us, and uh, that was the deal. So every night, one of the members of the Waxman family would come, pick up Raphael, and take him home. When Nachshon was in town, he was a soldier, and when he was in town, uh, for whatever reason, he would always come and pick up his brother in uniform. And so we got to know, it was a very intimate number of people in those days, we got to know Nachshon very well, we got to know the Waxman family. Shalva began in 1990, so Rafael was probably there in 91. And in November 1994, as you mentioned, there was a very historic watershed moment in Israel when Nachshon was kidnapped by Hamas terrorists, held hostage. They demanded a large number of uh, you know, their people in response. Rabin made an attack on the house where they were holding him, and tragically, uh, of course, they killed the terrorists, but the lead man near Parat was killed. And Nachshon, they killed him. So what happened after that is that the, during the four or five days when they were begging for his life, Nachshon is an Amer- was an American citizen. Right. And therefore, you know, President Clinton and all the heads of state were involved in this. It made international news. And um, there were, outside Esther's house, you had a sea of reporters in the street. And um, when it happened, and it became public that he was being held uh, hostage, Malki turned to me and said, go to Esther, go to Yehuda, take a bag, and get Raphael and bring him to our house till after this is over, oh. after he comes home. Right. So uh, I did that, and he, Raphael, stayed with us. And, of course, tragically, Nachshon died. Right. The unity in Israel at that time with tens and tens of thousands of people praying at the Kotel, at his funeral, tragically, on Motzei Shabbat with over 100,000 people there, it brought Israel together in a way that, other than the Six-Day War, I don't know that there's another event that has ever brought us together quite this way. And Esther became very much a spokesperson for her younger son, who didn't, didn't have a voice, and for Nachshon, who no longer had a voice. And we began to build a much larger center of our own at that time, and we decided to name it Beit Nachshon, the memory of Nachshon. And Esther did become, you know, very much a Shalva Beit Nachshon spokesperson, and she had tremendous impact uh, as that spokesperson. And uh, God bless her, God bless Yehuda, and uh, they're noble, extraordinary people. And Beit Nachshon is still around, right? Better than ever. Beit Nachshon was our center that we had for 18 years. Ah. Uh, it was the in the Harnoff neighborhood. Got it. And uh, in 2006, the government gave us seven acres of land uh, right in the heart of the city. 
And we began to build what we call the Shalva National Center, which is about 12 times the size of the old center. It's 220,000 square feet, 12 floors, with amazing facilities, sitting, as I said, on seven acres. And at that time, it's now called the Shalva National Center, but the Nachshon is, when you enter the center, the first thing you do is see, you know, a very nice memorial for Nachshon. So he's part of us. He always will be. But the new center is already called the Shalva National Center. It took 10 years from when the land was given to you till the actual Shalva National Center opened up? Well, it, it doesn't help when a very powerful neighbor, a hotel, old hotel above us, decided they didn't want the gift to be made, and they schlep you through 15 right. different Coleman, I was going to make it. I was going to make a different point. In Israel, ten years is that's pretty good. <laughs> you know what? So I take that as a compliment. But we could have done it in five had we not been held up. For five. I get that, but I could point you to some people who've been waiting forty years after they've been given land for certain things to be approved. So no, there's no question about that. It's challenging, and if I I do not take it for granted the miracles we had. To you know, it was a sixty-five million dollar building of which about 10 came from the government and 55 came from the private sector and a, a large portion of that in you know uh, the United States if the private so, sector around the world uh, supports you greatly and it does thank god i'm curious what percentage is from the united states people people listening right now who are shalva supporters are among you know what number of colleagues what percentage of colleagues that uh, really help support the center when we began going back 15 20 years it was about 80 percent. Wow. And I was faulted for that, and we said we will make a change. Today, it's about 20 percent. Interesting. Uh, the Israeli government finally stepped in and supports programs, which we didn't have at that time. Um, other communities have stepped in, and Shalva also has uh, things like the new Shalva, the Shalva Cafe, which is the best Italian cafe in the city. It's closed at this moment, of course, but 85,000 people a year come to eat in that cafe. So we have centers of revenue today that we didn't have before either. So altogether, you know, I have to raise about $6 million a year. Right. It's a $17 million budget. It's a big budget. And uh, the Delta is about $6 million. It's a huge number, and it keeps uh, me and some other people very busy. Uh, and it's, of course, very challenging in the current environment, but that is basically, you know, the number that we have to... By the way, I, me I mentioned in your opening that um, that there are students here in the U.S. who do, in fact, raise money for Shalva through marathons and other events, both in Israel, that take place in Israel, and here uh, in the U.S. as well. No, it's an incredible, incredible community of young people. Yeah, uh, The Jerusalem Marathon is... It wasn't held this year, of course, right. last month, but it's a huge event with 25,000 runners. And uh, early on, we began uh, with American high schools where kids come in for three, four days. They raise the cost of their ticket and whatever they raise above that. Right. And uh, they run, and they have an amazing Shabbaton together. And it's become sort of quite the thing. So we can have five, 600 international runners in a given year from Canada, from the U.S., from England, and uh, it's it's amazing, amazing what these young people have done. And by the way, they visit without the marathon, and uh, it's just the community, as you mentioned, is a very wide network. 
That is for sure. Calvin Samuels is author of the book Dreams Never Dreamed, A Mother's Promise That Transformed Her Son's Breakthrough into a Beacon of Hope. It's a Toby Press release, uh, which means you can go to our friends at Corin Publications, corinpub.com, corinpub.com. And to check out the book, you should order it and buy it. And a, and a big, big shout-out to Koren. We mentioned last week during our Yom Mot special that they are one of the reasons that uh, the whole religious Zionist movement has uh, had a tremendous revitalization around the world. Obviously, it was always very, very active in Israel, but around the world because of the, the work that they're doing and releasing books like this, which are so key um, uh, for our community and for our kids to read. Um, what's the name of the show? What's what's the name of the show in Israel that Shalva Band ended up on? It's called Rising Star. You're right. It's like America has talent, right. and you know now, that's quite. A, I it's, I, it's I know, and, and I got to hear the story, and everybody wants to hear the story because there are a lot of people who only heard of Shalva because of the band and those videos and how well they were received and how well they did on that show. Uh, tell us, how did this all start? Whoever thought. That a band, com- uh, you know, put together uh, with with Shalva members could go ahead and be on national television. Well, let's put it this way: Shalva always had music therapy almost from day one, and we saw the enormous, enormous benefits. Over time, in the early two thousands, we had the beginnings of a band. What they used to play at at as best they could at you know in at the Shalva events in house. Right. And it developed to a certain stage. And then one day a young man came into my office in uh, the old building, about 2005, and uh, he said to me that I'm a music therapist and I'd like to work here. And I said, well, that's nice, but I I already have a music therapist, thank you. We didn't need more in those days. And he said, "Uh, yes, but I'll do more for you. I said, and what will you do more? (laughs) And he said, I will build the band. I said, well, we have the beginnings of a band. He says, well, I'll take that further. At any rate, it was an interesting guy, and when I began asking him about himself, it turned out that he was injured a year, two years earlier, in a one of the most challenging uh, disasters in the Duvdevan, like people know Fauda, right. but his commander was killed and he was injured, you know, very, very badly. And after about a year of rehabilitation, he was going back to the music he loved, and he was now looking for a job. So, of course, I said, you know what, I don't care if I have, if I don't have. I'm going to hire you, and you start. And he started, and he started with tweezers picking this kid and that kid, and no one would ever have dreamt. And over the years, this developed. We played at this event, out of Shalva and others, and it got to the point where we traveled internationally, and uh, Google uh, hosted them at Google. You know, it's called Ambassadors of Change on Google. And um, the television show in Israel got wind of the quality of the band. Huh. And they invited them to audition. So they reached out to them? Yes. They reached out to them. And they, uh, we, were, had, we had great concerns. Was it an appropriate venue for them? You're going right. to be competing in, in Israel's show as opposed to amateurs. It's available and open to all. So professionals also competed because ah. the winner of this show automatically became the representative of Israel in what's called the Eurovision. And the Eurovision is the largest musical event anywhere, you know, all of Europe and Australia. Essentially and the European the European Music Festival, essentially. Exactly, but there's 200 million viewers. Right. So everyone was trying to become that representative. We didn't care about that. 
we just felt it was great exposure for the kids and a great opportunity. And we didn't dream they'd go beyond one showing. So the first show they played, uh, you know, Here Comes the Sun, which right. yours truly suggested. <laughs> and uh, no, they, the, the Israeli people wanted them to sing a song in Hebrew. And I said, over my dead body, they're singing Here Comes the Sun in English. <laughs> anyway, so they did very well. And they went through the show, never losing, wiping out the competition, and they got to the finals. When they got to the finals, we got word through them for the production company that the Eurovision people had said that while they're going to be competing late Saturday night, which would have made it possible, there needs to be a complete dress rehearsal right. on Friday night. Right. That began to be very challenging, and they worked very hard all the way from the minister of uh, of um, whatever the minister was, culture. turned to Eurovision culture. Thank you. And I, I'm thinking in my mind, Tarboot. You know, right. It's like been here too long. <laughs> the minister of culture and uh, Eurovision got back after several weeks saying that, sorry, but this is part of the, we need it for our show and mm. there'll be no, no, you can't, we can't release them in any way from that. So we then, you know, submitted our, uh, you know, the week, can't compete, mm -hmm. and we never mentioned Shabbat. We said for reasons beyond our control, and I was faulted by people who are very religious that why did I not mention Shabbat? And I said, you know what? You fight your battles in your way. Let me fight mine in my way. And mm -hmm. what happened was, because we didn't say we're leaving because of Shabbat, you know, sort of raising antagonism, uh, the whole world, including the most left-wing vehicles in Israel, were, wow, Somebody actually stood on their principles and didn't rub it in our faces. Wow. So at about a week later. What a lesson. Came, what a lesson. Yeah, yeah it is. And, Euro, and uh, Eurovision came back and said they can't play as contestants, but we want them to sing a song at on Eurovision, you know, as a, as a guest artist. That's Saturday so night. They, they, actually, not. It was Thursday night mm -hmm. at the first semifinals. Got it. And they sang a song called A Million Dreams from The Greatest Showman. And literally, they didn't just bring the house down. The BBC and all of Europe were instantly texting and putting out uh, messages that this is like the greatest thing they've ever seen. And the person who wrote was crying. And that this is what culture is all about, et cetera, et cetera. So there was like millions and tens of millions of talkbacks all through Europe about this performance sometimes you so, could you know, sometimes you could win the prize without getting in first place <laughs> I, I, believe me i realized that immediately that we're not there as a competitor there's no downside right. we're there as a guest artist and so the fact that we got a lot of praise afterwards didn't put anybody else down you're did, absolutely i'm right. just i'm just curious did any of the um celebrities who act as judges on the Israel show express an interest afterwards in Shalva visiting there or anything like that? I'm just curious if they, it piqued their interest because sometimes you like you see celebrities who, when they find a cause or a special group, want to get involved. Any of that happen or not? Much of it. Really? Uh, oh, my gosh. The, the, uh, a number of them have uh, performed together with the band at huge concerts in Israel. Wow. Uh, Several of them have performed in New York at our dinner and elsewhere with the band, and the band has been on television many, many, many times since. It, it became so big that a year ago at uh, Memorial Day, Yom Zikaron, the band were the performers 
at the Knesset with the president and the prime minister. The following night at Mount Herzl on uh, Yom Ha'atzmaut, Independence Day, they again were the performers. That has never happened that one performer performs also the same year. Right. You know, Yom Ha'atzmaut and Yom Ha'atzmaut. Right. So they became megastars. They were voted the one of the 20 most influential entities or people of 2019. They were voted at the end of the year as one of the most influential people of the decade. You know, they've changed the world of disabilities in the bigger world where people have to rethink what disability is. They've shown, yeah, we have disabilities, but we also have abilities. Do you, do you just anecdotally have a feeling about what percentage of Israel who now know about Shalva know about Shalva because of the ban? Like, do you have even an idea in your head? It's, 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 there's nobody in Israel who doesn't know the Shalva. Right, but, 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 ha- vast, but what? There's a vast number of people in Israel who have no idea that there's an organization called Shalva. Oh, even, even, words, even with knowing the, about it, the band. The, the connection was made, <laughs> right. and it's been, they've been on television many, many times. Right. But between sort of enjoying the music and knowing the band <laughs> and realizing that there's a story behind it, it's just not just, but it's, it's a program in which we try and maximize their potential, just as we do in all our other programs. Good point. Kalman Samuels is with us. Dreams Never Dreamed is the name of the book. We are highly recommending it, Dreams Never Dreamed. You can go to CorinPub.com, CorinPub.com, search Kalman Samuels, or search Dreams Never Dreamed. Finally, last few minutes here, obviously about Yussi. Uh, the only reason I didn't concentrate on him from the beginning is we've had an opportunity over the years to, uh, uh, to tell his story uh, to this audience. Um, but as you described earlier, your son is a Helen Keller situation, a Helen Keller hero in terms of n- not being able to speak, not being able to uh, to see, and he's uh, and he has been been uh, he has learned how to communicate. He had the breakthrough, as you mentioned earlier. Was there one specific person aside from you and your wife who's responsible for that breakthrough? Yes, uh, Yossi uh, injured at the age of eleven months lost his ability to see, and within the year to hear. And uh, we were in New York looking for help at the best schools and the best doctors and the best therapists. And after about five years, we came back, and whatever we were able to do for him, we did. But he didn't have communication, and other than a hug and a kiss, and of course understanding his basic needs. And uh, he was we put him into deaf school here in Jerusalem, and one of the teachers in the deaf school was a woman deaf herself, Shoshana Weinstock, and uh, we realized how good she was, and we asked her if she would teach Yossi privately because we learned that she lives in our neighborhood, and she did. And within a few lessons, she came running over to the house in her deaf intonation, screaming, he got it, he got it, and we didn't know what he had done, what, what he took. And she explained very excitedly that he just got communication. She sat him down next to a table, a shulchan, and for a number of lessons, all she did was spell five Hebrew symbols for letters. She involved Lamed Chet Nun in the palm of his hand. And at one point, just before she ran, he lit up, and she understood that he had suddenly grasped it, because his other hand was on the table. She suddenly realized that he had grasped that this table was what she was spelling in his hand. And they went over and over and over it again, and every time she did it, his smile became bigger and bigger. So she had the smarts to understand that this was his Helen Keller moment, and he then got 
the rest of the 22 letters. We learn to sign. Others learn to sign just 22 letters. And on the basis of her work, a year later, another uh, professional, a speech therapist in the school, worked with him for about a year and a half, teaching him how to speak Hebrew synthetically, because he doesn't hear and he doesn't see. And he became known, indeed, as the Helen Keller of Israel. And uh, he's had some wonderful visits. The President of the United States, George Bush, has hosted him. The Prime Minister of England uh, has hosted him. You know, he's a wine taster. Uh, he's put out his own two wines. It, had you gone to duty-free in Israel up until uh, about six weeks ago when it all closed down, you would find Yossi's wines there. Hopefully when everything opens up, it'll be back. Under what but, label? Uh, Yossi. Literally? It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a, a big handshake, and it's Yossi on the bottle, one white, one red. And we have the wines, but it's not being sold there. And uh, it was produced in the Gush. You know, amazing, amazing people who... Yossi wanted to do something with himself, and his sense of smell is so astounding. It's better than a bloodhound's. In the early years, when the kids opened up a Coke in the next room, he would scream, I want a Coke. He smelt it. And we all know that taste is a function of smell. When we have a cold, our taste goes down. Right. And uh, Yossi wanted to do something. Someone suggested maybe he work with perfumes, and then someone else suggested, why doesn't he work to learn about wine? So we hired the best wine guy in Israel, and he came once a week on his motorcycle from Tel Aviv with wines in tow and taught Yossi all about wine. Yossi loved it, and as he said, I can't compete with Yossi because I have to cover my eyes to do blind tasting. He does it naturally. <laughs> and, but the fact is that it's, it's an amazing gift to Yossi, that he, he has something. He's not working professionally. He can't walk today. He lost his ability to walk around the age of 21, 22, the same thing that took away his hearing and his speech, took away his ability to walk. But he's a brilliant guy, and anybody who meets him, honestly, they always tell me that my life has changed. How old is he now? Yes, he's 43. He works. He works at uh, Route 6, the big toll road headquarters, putting together easy passes, three-piece easy passes, and he gets a chance to meet the people. And he's there. It's a very important part of his life. And he taught us, that when we talk about inclusion, it's wonderful. But until such time as we can enable a person with a disability to contribute to society in his or her way, this, the process is not complete. Because when Yossi will talk to anybody about what he does, always one of the first things he will say is that, I work here, this is what I do. Right. And you just realize that this is what is so important to his self-esteem. Understood. Uh, Kalman, I'm way over time, but give me a minute on his fascination with automobiles. Yossi, from the time he was a little kid, uh, when he got communication, the neighborhood children loved him and would walk out with him. He could walk in those days. And uh, one day they came home that they were walking next to cars parked in front of the street. And uh, they touched the car, and Yossi said, what's this? And they said, Ford. They went two cars further. What's the next one? He told them what it was. He was learning what cars are. And about three cars further, he said, Ford. Said, wait, 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 how did you know that's a Ford? So he said, the door handles are the same. <laughs> and it turns out that he began to recognize cars, all models, by the door handle, just touching it, and he knew what model it was. So we started in the streets, then we went to dealerships, then we went to Tel Aviv, and they were wonderful. They let him sit in the car. Then the kids, we started reading him car magazines. And one day, Volvo found out that his favorite car was Volvo, and Volvo in Sweden invited him out for a tour in Sweden. And we went 
to Sweden involved. We had a hands-on tour, and they, of course, used it for all their PR, but for Yossi, it was the greatest gift. And I want to tell you a quick story. While we were there, we were on the floor putting things together, and they gave him and myself a screwdriver standing behind him, an automatic screwdriver to put in in the front of the car, the front end there, the dashboard with screws, and they put a bu- push a button, and you know, software came swooshing down. And uh, it was an S80. That was their lead car. And Yossi turned around, and he looked over his shoulder, and he says, are, in Hebrew, are they selling this car? And all the heads of Volvo were there. They knew the gig already. And I told them that he's asking if you're selling this car. So they said, like, why in the world is he asking that? So he finished, he turned around, and I asked him what they're asking, why did you say that? He says, what are they going to tell their buyer about their quality control? Uh, You know, that a blind deaf person put it together. So uh, six months later, I was in Riverdale, and a dear friend of mine was there at Shabbat with a lot of people at his Shabbat table, and uh, we were talking, and I told the story, and he says, you know, it's always been a riddle. I bought an S80. And it's been a lemon from the day I bought it. Finally, I understand that it's Yossi's car. <laughs> you think Yossi appreciated that? <laughs> Yossi, I told him the story later. Yeah, he, he, he enjoyed the story. He's, he got a, he's got a sense of humor, huh? <laughs> Yossi's the funniest thing going. Um, how many siblings does Yossi have? Yossi has six siblings. We have Yossi's number two, a girl, Nechama Yossi, Six siblings born within seven years. Malkin and I made a decision in spite of the problem we faced with Yossi. We were going to take children when God gave them. And then there was a very big break. And uh, 16 and a half years later, we were blessed with another little girl, Sarah. Uh, so there's a huge break. And she and Yossi are very, very, very close. Well, that, that, on her. that's what I was going to ask. In conclusion, um, your children are what? Because of Yossi, better people, fulfilled people. What, how would you say, and what would Malky say, that the other siblings? Obviously, you yourselves as well, but you get my point. The other, because a lot of people worry. God for, I shouldn't say God forbid, but worry about situations they may get into, and how you know siblings will adjust to different situations. You, you would say your children are what because of Yossi? I'd like to make a very important point in regards to this question. I'll keep it brief. Sure. It, having a child with a disability is a challenge. And we were warned many times about the, you know, the dangers and the worries about the other children. The absolute opposite is true. Yossi brought to our household joy. Yes, there were challenges, but joy. His brothers and sisters all grew up to be much more enriched children with their feet on the ground, knowing that there's more to life than meets the eye. And uh, Yossi himself, has just given us so much, so much blessing. On many occasions, I run a, I'm asked to talk at a support group that we run for parents of Shalva children, new, new parents who just had a child with a disability. One of the points I always make is that if you think your problem is the child with a disability, you're so mistaken. That child has any number of siblings. If you as a parent sincerely believe that God has given you this as a gift, and you're proud of what this child can do, and you measure his accomplishments with his yardstick, not yours, your children will grow up to be healthy adults, marry, and have healthy children. But if, God forbid, you personally 
are embarrassed, you're uptight. What are people going to say? What are going to people do? That goes through not only to you, it goes through to all your other children, and you're putting them at a huge disadvantage emotionally and psychologically as they grow up. So I tell them, guys, wake up, smell the coffee. This is a gift, and treat it as such. And we did that with great pride in the face of many situations. So my kids grew up knowing that, hey, you know what? Yossi's Yossi, just like I am I. And that is where it can be. And no doubt your children are better parents and will be better parents uh, because of all this. I, you know, I would hope so. They're wonderful and rich kids. People often commented on that, but that's true not only of my kids. Right. It's true of any parent that enriches their children, and in this case, not allowing this to be a negative issue. Kalman, I look forward to reuniting with you in the holy city of Jerusalem. Nachum, I'm waiting for you. The book is called Dreams Never Dreamed, Cannot Recommended Highly Enough. It's written by Kalman Samuels, Toby Press, which means our friends at Corin. Go to corinpub.com, K-O-R-E-N, pub.com. Please send our best regards to Malki, the entire family, and, of course, special regards to Yossi. Nachum, I cannot thank you enough. And just in the few minutes before we went on air, I mean, it was four <laughs> yeah. times again, and I thank you, and I bless you. It's wonderful to hear your voice after so many years on air and wish you continued success in all that you do for the Jewish community. Amen. Tadaraba. There he is, Kalman Samuels. Dreams never dreamed. Pick it up, everybody. It is a, a great read, a wonderful story. Also, fantastic pictures. Fantastic pictures of so many of the things we discussed this morning. More coming up. You're listening to a Monday morning edition of JM in the AM.
J.M. in the A.M., that is um, Leif Tahar with Shirul Amelech. Ready to wrap up a, a Monday. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman Kosher Hot Dogs, Sausage and Deli is the world's best. Serving the kosher world since 1954. Available at Better Kosher Supermarkets nationwide. Check out A&H today. Uh, the next edition of The Israel Show is next. Don't forget to like The Israel Show Facebook page, facebook.com slash The Israel Show. Uh, coming up, Mayor Weingarten will discuss drama in real time, yet another showdown between Israel's judiciary and the legislative and executive branches. Plus, celebrating 100 years of the San Remo Conference is nice, but what, what, what was the San Remo Conference and why is it worthy of celebration? All that plus a uh, slow, inspirational Israeli uh, music mix all coming up if you keep it here on the Nahum Single Network for the Israel Show. Uh, then it'll be Yoni Pollock with After Further Review, our sports program. And then Jake Novak will discuss Mayor de Blasio and coronavirus at 11 a.m. during Novak Now. Achenu Israel and Achim brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's 
one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and NahumSiegel.com, on the NahumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing Monday here at JMNAM, day 25 in the counting of the Omer. Tomorrow is Giving Tuesday, but you don't have to wait till tomorrow. You can give right now and keep us going during our 2020 campaign. Uh, go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org, and I thank you. Plenty of more tomorrow, starting at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. Make sure to join us. Again, coming up next, it's Mayor Weingarten with The Israel Show. Then Yoni Pollock and our sports program after further review. And then um, Jake Novak with Novak Now. Today he'll discuss Mayor de Blasio and coronavirus. Have a fabulous Monday. If you don't receive our newsletter, email Avrami, af at nalchomsegel.com, af at nalchomsegel.com. Until tomorrow, Nalchom Siegel reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.